0: Thank you, Dave. Um, we'll be hearing more from Dave shortly. Uh, Dave will be uh, helping us through the act of remembrance at, at uh, roughly 11 o'clock. We'll try and get our timing. on uh, um, We've just... And thank you, Dave, for, for bringing those prayers, leading us in our prayers as we've come, bringing what's on our heart before God. We're now coming to a time in our service where, hopefully the reverse is true. We catch a glimpse of what's on God's heart um, and what he has to say to us. So before I say anything more, I'd, I'd just like to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is willing to speak. Lord, we pray that we might be equally willing to listen. And Lord, as our I share some words today, Lord, I pray you'll sift them. Those things that are of you, I pray you'll root in our hearts and bear fruit through them. And those things that are not of you, Lord, I pray you'll discard them like chaff so that, what we, will, so that we will be changed through this time together, that we'll become more like your son, Jesus, the way you called us to be, meant us to be. We ask this. In His name, Amen. So it's quite a somber day today. Uh, I, will, I don't know about you. I always find uh, Remembrance Sunday a somber day. For many, it will be a day when they'll remember relatives or friends, maybe from a different generation, but people who were killed in conflict. And throughout our land today, tears will be shed. So I want us to begin our time today standing alongside a grieving woman in the Middle East who has witnessed her dearest friend savagely executed in the cruelest way by men of violence who have invaded her land. And she's now searching for his body. These words record it. Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. As she wept, she bent down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where Jesus' body had been lying. One at the head, and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Mary replied, They've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. And when she said this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there. Those words, why are you weeping, are such poignant words. They're words, I believe, that God wants to say to us today. He wants to say to his creation, to the people that he brought into being, Why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? For many, it will be obvious. For many people, it will be the impact of conflict that makes them weep. And the sheer scale of the conflict and war that as a human race we inflict on each other is quite staggering, I was doing a little bit of research um, and I went to, <coughs> went to the Imperial War Museum and they report that conflict has taken place in every year of the 20th century. The world has been free from violence caused by war for very, very short periods of time. And over the course of the 20th century, it's estimated, and get this number, it's estimated that 187 million people died as a result of war between 1900 and the present time. And they then add the caveat that in reality, it's likely to be much higher than that. Let me just unpack that a little bit more. We start. We, we, Remembrance Sunday started following the First World War. In the First World War, not far short of one million British forces died, 880,000. That was 6% of the adult male population. It was one in eight of all pe- men, British men who went to fight. One in eight died. The numbers in World War II were slightly fewer. 384,000 were killed in combat. But a much higher number of civilians were killed. And in the UK, civilian deaths were largely due to bombing raids... And 40,000 died in the seven-month period between September 1940 and May 1941. Almost half of them right here in London. Huge numbers. Difficult to comprehend. Difficult to, to really get a grip on. Because each number contains one story. One tragic individual story. I want to tell you a little bit about, uh, and a slide I think is going to come up now, about a a young man, a second lieutenant, Noel Evans, who was commissioned into the Royal Field Artillery in June 1918, towards the end of the war, as he passed his 18th birthday. And on the 4th of November, a week before hostilities ended, he was on duty and a shell burst a few yards from the dugout where he was serving. His commanding officer, Major Bonner, wrote this to his parents. At about 6.30am, Noel went on duty, and he remained at the guns till 7.30am. Soon after this, at about 7.45am, I should think, I was standing outside the dugout, and Noel walked towards me, and we stood chatting for a few minutes. Then I returned to the dugout, and had just stooped under the tarpaulin, when a shell burst a few yards away. Noel appeared to be slightly wounded in his left thigh and right heel, and a tiny splinter was pulled out of the back of his head. His thighs seemed to worry him most, but the hit on their head had caused him to go temporarily blind. We put this down to concussion. Noel's parents traveled to France to visit him in hospital. However, on arrival, they were informed that their son had succumbed to his wounds in the early hours of Armistice Day itself. His father wrote a letter to the, some of the other family, at that, it's, and he wrote this. He said, It's been the hardest week to bear of my life. The uncertainty of our dear laddie's condition. The suspense at the last moment when we reached the hospital and the crushing words of the matron, I'm afraid I have bad news for you. We were too late. Then we were told he had already been taken up to the cemetery and that the funeral would be at 1.45pm. We reached the cemetery just in time. There were two other officers and about 20 privates buried at the same time. Noel was carried by five soldiers and five officers marched at the side. Three volleys were fired and the last post sounded at the end. And there we left, our dear, high-spirited laddie, who loved everybody, and I believe was loved by all. That record of a father's moments of grief was one amongst hundreds of thousands of such moments. And it provokes an echo of those haunting words, that haunting question, why are you weeping? But that was then, And this is now. But still it goes on. Here is a story from the last month. It's the story of seven-year-old Nana and her father, who are from Gaza. Their story, like the stories coming out of both Israel and the occupied Palestinian territory, is the stuff of nightmares. That trend of civilians being the victims of war Has grown and civilians and particularly children are paying the highest price for the conflict that they've no part in. Nana's father talked to an aid worker and I want to tell you a little bit of that story. He said, Little Nana ran to me, Baba, as usual, because it was safe for her, with the horror and the roar of the swarms of killing in the sky, hovering above us like a terrifying nightmare. Swimming in the warm sky of our neighbourhood. A neighbourhood that's filled with memories. In a moment, the world is lit with a great light. We all fall to the ground and try not to hear, hugging each other. Nana tells me, I love you, Baba. And the darkness turned into hell with the smell of gunpowder and blood. Especially in the dark, while I'm hugging my little girl who with a fragile, made-up confidence tells me, shivering, Baba, I'm not afraid, just nervous. I try to hug her and feel the heat of her small body. As if we had become one body, my feeling of helplessness was undoubtedly the worst. Then later, after the bonnet, Nana drew a picture, which I think we can see on the screen now. In it, there's a house, a garden, a sweet sun and a clear sky, free of swarms. She didn't draw birds in the sky. She wanted the sky to be clear, but she did draw clouds. Perhaps she's even become afraid of birds. And she started to explain her plans. She said, if we stay alive, I'd like always to stay together and to go to auntie's and grandpa's house. But Nana doesn't know that auntie's house has evaporated. And her grandfather's house, with its memories, its details, its warmth, its family gatherings, birthdays, joys and tears, is now rubble. Her father said, I tried to be a source of strength for the family. But I cried once. I cried twice. I cried three times. And we cried with each other and over each other. We cried for the past and the present. But we didn't cry for the future. Because we didn't know if we had a place in it. We hear that story again, one of countless horrific stories. And the echo of that haunting question, why are you weeping, comes to the fore again. So although it is not now quite 11 o'clock, I think it is an appropriate moment for us to pause for our act of remembrance, a time when we can give an answer to the question or seek an answer to the question, why are you weeping? It's a time to remember that our freedoms, the freedoms we enjoy in this land, have been bought at so heavy, far too heavy a price. It's a time to pray once again for those who are serving now to protect those freedoms. And it is a time to once again lament our inability as a human race to live in peace with one another as our Father intended. So I'm going to ask you all to stand now as we begin our act of remembrance. Some words will come up on the screen. They're probably far too familiar by now. They shall not grow old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them nor the years condemn at the going down of the sun and in the morning we will remember them. When you go home, tell them of us and say, for your tomorrow, we gave our today. Please be seated. Thank you, Dave. In a few moments, uh, Carissa will come and, and read to us so if you want to come to the front and be ready I'll give you a, a cue at the appropriate moment but before we do that let's stay in that, that place and um, that place of reflection and I want to bring that question back to you again why are you weeping what makes you weep well For me, as you've seen, as you've sensed, it is the tragedy of war. The tragedy of grief, of life's denied, destroyed, hopes shattered, homes shattered. Families ripped apart by war. That makes me weep. And as I reflect on it, when Dave plays the last pose, I find it hard not to shed a tear. What makes you weep? When did you last cry? You might be joining me in the grief of responding to appalling conflict, and so on. Or it may be something else that's making you weep today, or as weep over the last few weeks. It may be, some form of personal loss. We were praying for Gary, and I'm sure Julie at the moment is feeling that bereavement and is weeping. Might be people we know might be somebody in this room who's weeping because of a relationship breakdown. Or because their job's gone wrong. They've lost their job, their career's gone wrong. Well they're struggling. Struggling with life circumstances, with finance. Or where to live. Or struggling with a health scare or a health challenge. And in the quiet, when nobody's watching, you weep. Somebody told me this week, they said, I went to bed last night and I just cried. Grief and tears, A part of the human condition. And I think God always asks that question, and he's asking it particularly poignantly today, this morning, to each one of us. Why are you weeping? And he asks it not because he's like a father telling off a child for being melodramatic. Say, what on earth are you crying about? No, that's not what God says. God says, why are you weeping? Because God knows what it is to weep. As we read the Gospels, we see Jesus at the tomb of his dear friend Lazarus, deeply affected by the grief that Lazarus' sister Mary and other friends had at the death of Lazarus. In John's Gospel, we read that when Jesus saw her weeping and the people who had come with her weeping, he was intensely moved and greatly distressed. And he asked, where have you laid them? And they replied, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. God cries. We read also of a time towards the end of his ministry when he approached Jerusalem, and he knew that Jerusalem would shortly be destroyed by the Romans in AD 70 he knew that conflict would rip that city apart and in luke 19 we read when he jesus drew near drew near and saw the city he wept over it saying would that you even you had known on this day the things that make for peace god weeps god knows what it is to have a broken heart God cries, God sheds tears, God weeps. But is that all that God does? Is it simply that he's just a fellow mourner with us in our distress? Well, what does God do about it? What's what's his response when we pour out our grief to him and tell him exactly why we are weeping? When we answer his question with honesty, God, I am weeping because... And we cry out to him, Will you ever put a stop to it? Will you ever end this misery? Carissa, read us some words from Revelation.
1: A reading from the Word of God. we in, in the book of Revelations, chapter 21, reading from verse 1 to 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning or crying or pain, for the order for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, "I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thank you so much, Carissa. These words are trustworthy and true. So I'd like to just spend a few moments before we finish reflecting on those words. And when I read a passage, I I tend to do something with a, a practice that some of you may follow called Lectio Divina where you just dwell in it and say, Lord, what is the word that you want me to hear? What is it you want me to take out of this? And as I did it in this passage, for me, the word that jumped out was new. Because the passage begins, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And it continues, I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem. And it concludes, with he who sat upon the throne said, behold, behold, I am making all things new. That word new, it's a God word. It's a word that resonates throughout the whole of the New Testament. We read about a new covenant, a new commandment, about new wine, about a new man, the new Adam, and so on. And here we hear God saying, I am establishing a new heaven and a new earth. Incidentally, do note that that's present tense. That's not future tense. God is doing it now. Renewal is God's business. It's his work. He's making a new heaven and a new earth. But what does this new earth look like? Well, as we move into verse 3, we hear... Behold, the dwelling of God is with man. The new earth that God is bringing into being is one where he dwells with his people in the midst of his creation. Brothers, sisters, our God is not a far off God. He's not a God that seems to exist at a distance on a far removed mountain or in a temple or a cathedral. He's a God that dwells among us. And this is renewal. This is going back to how it was meant to be. This is how it was in the Garden of Eden when God walked with Adam in the cool of the evening and walked and talked together with him. This is the renewal that he's bringing. He's coming to dwell among his people. But I'd forgive you if you said, is that all that's going to change? Is that the only new thing? Would God simply dwell amongst a people, a people who are sinful, brokenhearted, subject to disease, to cruelty, oppression, and death? Will nothing change? And we go to verse 4. And what an amazing promise it is. God is going to change it. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death will be no more. And there won't be mourning or crying or pain for those things, those former things, have passed away. God's personal presence among his people will unite what death has separated. When God comes near to us, we no longer weep over the grave. That's the promise ahead of us. Because as verse 5 concludes, he who sits on the throne... He who's in charge of everything, who sits on the throne, says, Behold, I make all things new. That's the answer to what God's doing and will do about our weeping. Yes, he is a fellow mourner. Of course he is. He is a a compassionate, broken-hearted God. But he's so much more. He's not just compassionate. He's almighty and he's all-loving. And he promises us hope and renewal. So the world in chaos, this is for you, Alice, because you said to me before, I'm so depressed about the world around us. This world in chaos, the despair, the fear, and the anxiety that we experience, we can have hope. The world is and will be fully renewed. Our nation can be renewed. Our families can be renewed. We ourselves can be recreated. We can be transformed into a new creation. That's what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ has reconciled us to himself. My friends, we, we obviously live in a world where the question, why are you weeping, needs to be asked far too often, and where we're far too familiar with grief and suffering. But we can and should be people of hope. We are people of hope. We are hoping for the renewal that's promised in these five verses from Revelation, for a new earth where there is no more crying or mourning or pain or suffering But please, please don't allow our hope, that hope we have of the new heaven and the new earth, that hope of the kingdom of God, to allow us to drift into a kind of Christian fatalism where we simply accept our grief and our suffering of now with a pious resignation. Because in the end, it will all be all right. God asks us to engage with our suffering. That's what the question, why are you weeping, is all about. And we must be able to answer for ourselves that question. And we must answer it in the sure knowledge of the hope of a new heaven and a new earth. We must hold on to hope. But, much more than that, we, as God's people, must not only hold on to hope, but we must release hope into the world. We are not just people of hope. We are agents of hope. We must be prepared to ask others, why are you weeping? And to engage with their response as God does with compassion, but also action. We've heard what the kingdom of God will look like when it's fulfilled. And our job is to usher in that kingdom. What I mean by this was brilliantly described by an American writer. I don't believe she's a Christian, but I think what she says here is what God would say to us. Hope is not a lottery ticket. You can sit on the sofa and clutch feeling lucky. It's an axe you break down doors with in an emergency. Hope should shove you out of the door because it will take everything you have to steer the future away from endless war from the annihilation of the earth's treasures and the grinding down of the poor and the marginal. To hope is to give yourself to the future. And that commitment to the future is what makes the present inhabitable. God's promise to wipe away every tear will ultimately be fulfilled. I don't know when, but I know it will. But we don't need to wait because we are God's people. We are his hands and his feet. If you want me to put it crudely, we are his Kleenex. Our job is to wipe away the tears. How can that be? Well, quite simply, like I've been saying throughout this, it's a work of God. Listen to some words from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I fervently believe that this is something that God is saying to us as a family in St. John's at the moment. You are people of hope. You have my hope. It's great to see it on our Christmas invites. Funnily enough... As I was preparing this sermon and thinking about it a couple of weeks ago, that verse from Romans fifteen thirteen just seemed to me to be the worst that we needed to hang on to. And then a few days later, Sam's email popped up into my inbox with that verse on it. And Sam, I took from that, not that it was something that just you wanted us to hear, but it's something that God wants us to hear. And God wants us to respond to. So let me say it again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Only in this way can we ever find a complete answer to the question why are you weeping?